Hello, hello, hello. What is up, Miami Dolphin fans? Welcome to another episode of The Same Old Dolphin Show. This is Aaron the Brain here, and this is going to be another solo episode. It's kind of a special edition episode. Um, Before we get into the meat of what this show is going to cover, uh, let's get the plugs out of the way. This show and this podcast, proudly part of the Dolphins Talk dot com podcast network make sure to check out dolphinstalk.com it's your one-stop shop for all things miami dolphins we'll plug myself on twitter you can follow at aaron the brain you can follow josh on twitter at amplified to rock he's the don't screw or they didn't screw it up guy uh you can also follow the podcast on twitter at same old dolphins uh, you can follow our Facebook at facebook.com slash same old dolphins show, I believe. And we now have an Instagram at same old dolphins where we will be posting news and fun pictures and things of that sort on Instagram. So you can follow us there on several different platforms and of course find us wherever you have found us today and wherever you find your favorite podcasts and make sure to give us you know a rate review let us know what you think of the show if you've got any questions feel free to ask we're trying to be uh, as interactive as possible with this podcast going forward so uh you know start the conversation uh, for the floor is open, and if you send us something insightful or or a good question, uh, we'll be happy to address it on the next podcast. So it's the off season. Look, we had the draft. There's a lot of excitement about the draft, and then we have this lull. This is a tough time to be a, a football fan, particularly it's a tough time to be a sports fan in general with all this, uh, you know, with all the stoppages because of uh, COVID. But assuming that things get back to some sort, some semblance of normal over the next couple of months, we should get an NFL season in. And so in this off season, this time that we have before training camp gets started up, before the preseason, look, there was a lot of excitement about the draft. And so what I decided to do, take upon myself, I've got some extra free time because my regular job really <laughs> it, it it kind of ceases to exist at the moment at, at the hands of this coronavirus it basically depends on people gathering in large amounts in bars and restaurants and that obviously is not happening now and it it may not happen anytime soon if at all so for the time being I'm using my extra time to kind of dive into this Dolphins team dive into this podcast and try to make it as great as we can for you the listeners so what I decided to do was the Dolphins took used 11 draft picks And I decided to take it upon myself, I am going to look at the game film, I'm going to watch the games for all of these draft picks. I started with Tua, and with Tua, I went ahead and I watched the 2018 National Championship game, which of course was the the culmination of the 2017 season, which was the game where he ultimately came in in the second half and 
pioneered an outstanding comeback and really it was the the beginning of the Tua legend at Alabama. Then I watched all of 2018 and all of 2019. Of course, his 2019 cut short with the injury uh, in the game against Mississippi State. Now, because Raekwon Davis, uh, who the Dolphins took in the fourth round or fifth round, because he also was a teammate of Tua's and played largely the last two years, uh, started the last two years, I also went ahead and and watched the defensive reps for Alabama over the last two seasons as well. So I, I've got all the tape on Raekwon Davis. Now going forward, I plan to do this with every single one of the Dolphins draft picks, uh, but I will probably just stick to the 2019 tape unless it's a case like Brandon Jones, who was injured uh, for a good portion of 2019. So for a case like him, I may go back and look at, at a good amount of the 2018 tape as well. But that this is going to be the first episode in a series of episodes uh, where I kind of break down each player that the Miami Dolphins drafted and do it based on the film, based on what I saw. Now, I want you, I want you to know my process uh, before I went into it. My process was, look, obviously I'm biased. I'm a Dolphins fan, just like all of you. When I put on the tape to watch Tua, and look, I was a fan of Tua's. I, I wanted the Dolphins to pick Tua for a year and a half. And so when they picked him, I was very excited. But I, I can't say that I went and I, I can't say that I watched prior to the draft a whole bunch of Tua tape. I had seen him, you know, in the various Alabama games that I'd watched, the big games, obviously that national championship game. Obviously I'd seen the highlight reel from from Tua, but I can't I couldn't say that I had seen every single snap that that Tua had, every single throw that Tua made. Well, now I can tell you that. And I wanted to go in as excited as I was and as much as I wanted to see uh, I wanted to be wowed and just say and see nothing but positive. I wanted to stay as objective as possible so I could give an honest, level-headed assessment to you, the listeners, so that we know what to expect, what we're getting when it when Tua finally straps it up for the Dolphins, which obviously we're all excited to see. And and that goes for all the players. So that's what I, I, I did my best to try to check my bias at the door and just give you completely objective analysis from my eyes, from what I saw. So here it is, my Tua Tungavailoa film breakdown from his college career your newest quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. So I started, I as I said, with that 2018 National Championship game against Georgia. Obviously, the second half of that game, they came in behind. And immediately, the things that jump off the page when you watch Tua and you see it right from the first game, right from the second half of this National Championship game, is... His accuracy is just phenomenal. He is, his pinpoint accuracy, his decisiveness with the football, those are just, those are special traits that he has that 
they're just top shelf compared to most other quarterback prospects that you see. And, and you see it. I mean, you don't, you're not just talking about seeing it on like the NFL level or, but, but when you really watch these games and you watch him go up against other quarterbacks, you really see the difference, the, the level uh, of accuracy and decisiveness. Now I'll get to, you know, there, there are, there are a few different factors in there. It's not all just because he's so much better, although, He's really good, but obviously some of that has to do with the competition that he's playing. Not every defense is as good as Alabama, and not every team has the playmakers that Tua had over his last two and a half seasons or two plus seasons at Alabama. But that said, those are the first things that jumped off the page. And then the next thing that really jumped off the page at me, I I really wasn't expecting. Um, I knew Tua had some mobility. But he's really underrated as a runner. He has enough speed to when he when he wants to to break out of the pocket to get to the edge to make things happen with his legs, and you see it in that national championship game because he he's able to run and make plays. I believe he scored a touchdown in that in that championship game with his legs. But the most impressive thing about him as a runner is that. And, and his mobility in general is his ability to keep his head up and be really heady as a runner because he will move out of the pocket or within the pocket, stepping up, shifting to the side, scrambling a little bit, resetting, keeping his eyes downfield, and then he will make an absolutely phenomenal throw. He'll also run out of the pocket, uh, look like he's going to run, stop, reset, fire downfield, that ability to not just completely give up on the play is so huge at the NFL level because what you're going to find is, and a lot of quarterbacks that are that are quick to scramble and give up on plays and run, what a lot of them find is you you can get out of the pocket and you can make some things happen with your legs, but one... NFL defenses are a lot faster than college defenses, so it's not as easy to always get to the edge. It's not as easy to always make a big play. And the other thing is that if you're consistently doing it, what's going to happen is players are going to break off of their coverages. And sure, you might end up getting a six or seven yard gain, but if you're able to stop and reset you're able to come up with 30, 40 yard plays down the field by being able to draw those defenders in with your running ability and then still able to make the big time throw down the field. And you see Russell Wilson do this all the time. And I think, you know, I heard a lot about like, who do you compare to a Tonga Vailoa to coming into this draft? And the two responses that I heard the most were Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. Russell Wilson, because of kind of the combination of his accuracy and mobility, and Drew Brees because of his accuracy and competitiveness and leadership. And I really feel he he truly is a combination of these both. I think he's a little bit more Russ than he is Brees, in my opinion, just because, you know, he's clearly a lot more mobile than than Drew Brees, uh, but he's not quite as explosive as Russell Wilson. And then his accuracy, his accuracy is pretty on point between the two of them. So I think it's a, it's an apt 
comparison and that that really jumped off the page but not only heady enough to keep his eyes downfield and make plays off the run but also when he does scramble his headiness to know when to when to slide when to get out of bounds when to fall forward it's all it all just kind of speaks to his awareness of the game and his football IQ and we've talked you know for the better part of a decade now because most of the most of that time over the past decade has been spent with Ryan Tannehill who had all the physical tools to be a great NFL quarterback but just never seemed to have the grasp of the nuances of the quarterback position or of the game to really be that heady guy that you would trust to make the right decision. Well, Tua seems to innately have that, even as early as his true freshman year in this national championship game. And the fact that he was doing it, that he showed that kind of poise and headiness coming into into the second half of a game at a big deficit in the national title game speaks a lot about just kind of how cool this guy is, you know, how kind of unfazed he is. So that was big. But then I did notice my first glimpse at a major to a negative you also see in this game. And that is that occasionally, and this comes from, you know, just his sheer athletic ability and his uh, and his arm and his accuracy. He sometimes gets a little maybe too confident and tries to do too much. There's a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. Uh, maybe not a little bit. He has a lot of gunslinger in him where he is just going to rip it. He he see, if he sees man coverage, obviously at Alabama he had elite 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 weapons. So. When he saw man coverage, he was challenging the defense all day, and he's throwing the ball up there to allow his receivers an opportunity to make the play. And more often than not, that worked. However, there were times against good defenses, sometimes against not so great defenses, but most of the time it happened against really good defenses where I think he got a little bit too, a little too greedy. And he he tried to press and do a little bit too much, and that's where he ran into problems. And he very easily, that Alabama could have very easily lost that game. There was a play, I believe, in the fourth quarter uh, where he throws it into double coverage, and in the back of the end zone, a Georgia defender had an opportunity to essentially ice the game if he's able to hang on to an interception, but he, in trying to keep his feet in bounds, he wasn't able to hold on. And then Alabama ends up scoring just a couple of plays later and, you know, on with the comeback. Uh, so that was the first kind of negative that I saw. And that was something that kind of carried on to the 2018 season. But speaking of that 2018 season, if you want to watch some tape and just be wowed at what Tua can do at his absolute best. You got to watch the 2018 film. He take he you will see a quarterback that is playing at such a high level of confidence that it's almost like every single throw 
It's it, it almost becomes automatic where 50 yard throws down the field are like handoffs. That's how accurate he is. Uh, the other thing that jumps off of the page, aside from just the aggressiveness and the deep accuracy and even the intermediate accuracy and short accuracy, pre-snap reads. Much of the Alabama offense in two, one, once Tua took over uh, in 2018 was a lot of the the zone read the 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 run pass option which really relies on the quarterback reading the linebackers and if those if that linebacker creeps in to stop the run then you pass the then you throw the slant if the linebacker stays back then you then you hand the ball off and and it becomes a running play and more often than not teams would end up cheating up on the on the run and every time they did Tua was so on point and so quick and decisive and accurate and so he would he would fight whether it was Jerry Judy whether it was Henry Ruggs whether it was Devontae Smith whether it was Jalen Waddle and all four of those guys I mean look Ruggs and and Judy were first round picks this this year and I'm not going to be surprised if Waddle and Devontae Smith are first round picks next year. That's how good that Alabama offense was as far as weapons. Uh, and that's not to mention, uh, that they also had Josh Jacobs and Najee Smith and, and even Irv Smith, who's in the NFL right now playing at tight end. That was that, that 2008 offense, I think was the best offense. As far as weapons, the offensive line, not so great, but as far as just strictly weapons, that, that's probably the most impressive set of offensive weapons I've ever seen, especially with a guy like Tua at quarterback. But, but I digress. Whether it's whoever the receiver was coming on the slant, Tua so quickly diagnosed it, decisive with the football, and it was just Always on the money in stride. And that's why so many of these slants are like eight yard throws that get taken to the house. And it's just, it's a beauty to watch. But, but it, the fact that in 2018, it wasn't just that. It was also the deep ball just being dropped into a bucket right in stride with the, with with the fastest receivers in the country it was just it was a beautiful thing to watch and then you saw more of those plays where Tua is able to kind of scramble out of pressure like i said if there was one weakness on that Alabama offense it was the offensive line there were times where where Tua got faced with a lot of pressure right in his face or, or from the outside. And he had to maneuver in the pocket, manipulate the pocket and still step up and, and come up with a strike. And more often than not in 2018, you come away and you're just like, like I'm watching the tape and I, and I'm just reacting. Wow. Like just, wow. I, I, I in disbelief of what I'm seeing because it's that impressive. However, then comes that, SEC championship game against Georgia and Tua does not have a good game. In fact, this is easily his worst game in college of, from what I saw. And, and the culprit again was here's a defense, one of the best defenses in the cover, in the country. They're getting up, they're playing press on these receivers and they're taking away Tua's first read. 
They're not blitzing. They're coming. They're they're rushing four and they're playing six or seven in coverage, and they're they're taking away Tua's first read, and then Tua is just forcing it. And when he forces it, he's making mistakes and he's turning the ball over. And I'll say this: in 2018, I think you know, like I watched the whole season, and I think I saw Tua throw the ball away a grand total of twice, and. Again, this was this goes to him trying to do too much. There was a play in the in the LSU game. I, there was a play in the in the Georgia game where he's kind of rushed out of the pocket. Nothing's really there, and instead of just throwing the ball away, he tries to force the ball into into coverage, and he ends up making a negative play. And so, in that game, Tua ends up getting banged up. And Jalen Hurts comes into the game and Jalen Hurts ends up being the hero of that game. Uh, then, then Alabama makes it to the college football playoff. Tua bounces back really nicely, has a great game against Oklahoma. And then you have the national championship game against Clemson. And I think he made a bad throw and a bad read. It was also a really great play by the Clemson defender on the pick six. And then outside of that, Tua really didn't have a bad game in that national title game. It just came down to the fact that Clemson was better. Alabama could not stop Clemson. And then when Clemson kind of jumped out to a big lead, that's when Clemson's defensive line kind of took the game over. So overall in 2018, you see the things that really had everybody excited, the things that made everybody, that basically created the whole concept or idea of tanking for Tua, that all started in 2018 because it was absolutely clear that this guy was going to be a stud NFL quarterback prospect. And after 2018, even with the bad SEC title game, even with the, I guess, less than stellar performance in the national championship game, it was still very clear that Tua was the favorite to be the number one pick overall in the in the draft in 2020. He just needed to to get through another year because he wasn't eligible because he was a true sophomore. So fast forward to 2019. The thing that encouraged me the most about 2019 is that you see a progression, but it's kind of interesting because you kind of have to take the good with the bad. For me, the 2018 film is more exciting to watch than the 2019 film. Now, obviously, you know, he gets hurt at the end of 2019, so he obviously doesn't play for his, as high as stakes down the end of the season. But in general, the wow plays, they're almost exclusively in 2018. In 2019, it appears that they made a concerted effort, effort between whether it was Nick Saban, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously the two probably working in concert with Tua Tungavailoa, they made a concerted effort to say, we're really, really good. We have so much talent. We need to be a little bit more risk averse. And so what you start seeing with Tua in 2019 is that there's trying to, they're trying to reel him in a little bit. They're trying to, like they know he's a gunslinger. They know he's got all that ability. 
They still want him to take chances here and there, but they want them to be calculated chances, and they don't want him to be taking chances unnecessarily. So what you see a lot of in 2019 is a lot of checkdowns to the running back. Uh, you also see, again, short passes to the receivers where the, it's a it's a little eight-yard slant and they take it to the house. Like, look, I'm not going to blame Tua for throwing an eight-yard slant on the money when it's the right play and the right read and the guy takes it to the house. All I'm going to say on that is it's not really a wow play. It's just a he's making the right the right play. He's putting the ball where it should be, but it's a very simple read and it's not a very difficult pass. He's just really good at it. He's really good at making the read decisively, putting the ball where it needs to be at the right time, and then his playmakers taking off. So... When you see the numbers in like his first five games in 2019, they're actually better than his 2018 numbers through the first five games. I think he had like 23 touchdowns and no interceptions. It's absurd. But when you really look at the tape, there are stretches in the game where when he does throw the deep ball, the deep accuracy has taken a step back. It's it, He missed a lot of throws early in the year. He checked down a lot. And frankly, what it looked like is it looked like he was processing more. He looked like a quarterback that was thinking more and being a, playing it safe a little bit more. And he wasn't playing with the unbridled freedom that he was pl- and aggression that he was playing with the year before. But again, that's growth of being a quarterback because while there are times where you want that, you also need to grow as a quarterback so that when you get into those situations, which he will get into later in the season, you're not making those big key mistakes. And so what you see a lot of in, I think, the first half of, of 2019 is him sort of learning to hold himself back. And so it's not quite as impressive. The numbers are are phenomenal, but uh the accuracy just isn't quite there, but he's not making really any costly mistakes. He's not turning the ball over at all early on in that season. Now, the 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 LSU game. I mean, ultimately that's what it comes down to is the LSU game. This is the one that everybody remembers and then he gets hurt the next week against Mississippi State. The LSU game, well before we get to the LSU game, I do think he kind of he kind of finds himself and finds his aggression kind of in the middle of the season in games against Southern Miss and Ole Miss where you kind of start to see he's more on point, he's getting a little bit more comfortable throwing that deep ball. And so everything's moving on this upward trajectory and then he gets to that LSU game. And to me, this LSU game is a microcosm of who Tua is. It's the, if you're going to watch one game on Tua to kind of get a feel for who he is at a quarterback, I would say this is the game to watch because what you see is uh, you see all of the accuracy on display. You see the mobility on display. Now, People people get on him and they think that he had a bad game and he he had obviously he had two major costly turnovers. Now the first turnover of that game is just weird. 
<laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's kind of a throwaway because it's just that weird. It's the opening drive of the game. Alabama's driving right down the field. Two is playing great. And on a, I think it was a goal to go situation. He scrambles. He's running. It looks like it's at the very least going to be, you know, him getting inside the five and setting up a touchdown, but he might be running in for a touchdown. And as he's running, he just, the ball just kind of slips. I mean, it's not like he's holding it in his bare hand. He's got it tucked away and the ball just kind of slips out. And it's, it's, it's a fumble. LSU has it. It's a major turning point early on in the, in the football game. And in addition to it, as two is going down, he kind of rolls his ankle a little bit. And so he's playing the rest of this game on, on a hurt angle, not, not an injured angle, but a hurt ankle. And you can tell that it's bothering him. You could tell there isn't quite the same zip on his passes after he hurts it on that first drive. But that said, LSU is def- is just a, a phenomenal defense in this game. And what you see is, I think, really conservative play calling in this game where they're trying to be risk averse. But eventually what is happening is LSU is building a lead because Alabama's defense isn't really stopping them. Alabama in general played a very sloppy game. They had a fumbled punt. Uh, a fumble by the punter that set up uh, LSU in really great field position. They had uh, some costly penalties. Obviously, you had the two of fumble. And then, making matters worse, at a point in the game where I think it's a, it's a six-point game, LSU has... A big time play on a, on a third and long where, where Moss makes this tremendous catch where he's able to keep his, his feet in bounds. And then they go to the review and on the review, it shows that he was clearly out of bounds prior to putting his feet back in bounds. And so it should have been an incomplete pass, but the officials rule it a completion and that ends up setting up another LSU touchdown. And now, Alabama's down by 13 late in the first half and Tua gets the ball back and this is where you see bad Tua again because in this situation all the way back on you know inside your own 20 or 30 at towards the end of the half the last thing that you can afford to do right here is turn the ball over and that's exactly what Tua does he forces the ball into coverage uh, LSU gets the interception and a couple plays later, LSU scores a touchdown to go up 33 to 13. So this is a disaster scenario for Tua and for Alabama. It's a disastrous first half. And in the second half, that's where you, you want to see how does he bounce back? And this is where it's just really encouraging because playing on a bum ankle, Tua has an amazing second half and keeps Alabama in it even till the very end, even when you think that the game is over because LSU goes up by 13 with less than two minutes left. He throws an absolute strike down the sideline to Devontae Smith for an 85 yard touchdown. And all of a sudden we've got ourselves a game again. And Tua, and, and that's, I believe, the last throw he makes in that game. But Tua's numbers in that game end up being phenomenal. He ends up throwing for over 400 yards. His completion percentage is really good. And that was against the best defense in the country. What you see on, on the stage there just is 
you see the accuracy, you see the quickness, the mobility, you see the toughness, you see the, the poise to stay in there and not get rattled. You see the competitiveness and you see throughout it, the leadership, his team, you know, galvanized by him. And, and that's what you, and then you see him obviously making all the, all of these plays. And that's some of the best film that you see. It, it, it really, what it is, is he gets into that second half and it looks like the game is, is falling apart and that's where you see all right we're breaking the chains off and two is just going to go do it and you see the gunslinger Tua uh just kind of do it it's almost like watching brett Favre, except he doesn't have the arm strength that brett Favre has so that's another kind of uh comparison that you can make but the next week he gets hurt against uh mississippi state and that's the end of his career uh, you know his college career and then you know now he gets drafted by the Miami Dolphins. So in summary, to me, what you're getting with Tua are a lot of positives. I mean, you're getting, I mean, you see it when you interview the guy, the charisma, the the things that he's talking about, about getting to work, getting to know everybody, the nuances of the quarterback position. This guy is just a poster boy for what you want as an NFL quarterback. You, what you want as to be your, your, the face of your franchise. This is the guy that you want to be your leader. And that's, that's the first thing you notice when you, when you're, when the guy's being interviewed. And then when you're actually talking about his play, you're talking about a guy that has excellent footwork, above average mobility and running ability. Elite level accuracy, a good enough arm, and a a good processor of what's going on. I think moving to the negatives, the negatives that you see, I think his gunslinger mentality, he's going to make some mistakes where he he forces some things. I think like I said, I, I think he only threw the ball away twice in 2018. He may have thrown the ball away four or five times in in 2019, and most of those happened in that game against LSU, which, again, those are good things to see. They they bring down the completion percentage, but they're still good things to see because you're seeing that growth. But what you but as far as negatives, he's he's got that in him. He is a gunslinger. He's going to make some mistakes when he forces things into traffic. But overall, well, and then one other negative that I'll say is when his first read is taken away and he and he doesn't check down it's almost like you know it, you you're supposed to go through your progressions like deep intermediate short it's almost like he he always always is looking to go deep first but it's deep and then short. A lot of times you'll see him skip that intermediate. And then in situations where let's say it's third and long, when he goes deep to intermediate, he gets into some mistakes because sometimes he's, the defense is fooling him in zone coverage and he, he's looking to make the throw where he knows he has the advantage, the easy decision, the man, you've got man coverage on an elite receiver. That's where I'm going. You got a single high safety and my receiver has his man beat. I'm going to throw it where my guy can get it and, and see if he can make a play. You've brought the, the linebackers and defensive backs back and you're not guarding the flat. 
I'm going to throw it to the flat. You're, I'm in the run pass option, the zone read, and your linebacker's creeping up. I'm going to hit the slant right over the middle, right, right off the bat. There are times where when he comes off of his, his, his first read, and doesn't go short where he gets fooled into, into the mess into the middle of the field. And so by that, by that, in those instances, that's something where I think he can improve. And, and really what it comes down to is all of these things are very coachable. And he has a level of processing that I think will certainly no Dolph, I mean, you see it with Fitzpatrick and you saw it with Pennington. And outside of those two guys, I don't think we've seen a quarterback that, that has that processing down here since Marino. And that's really what separates the, the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks is that ability to go through their progressions, really understand what the defense is doing so that they know where to go with the ball. And I think it's going to benefit him greatly. If he's able to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, it, it might not be a whole season, but if he can sit through Fitz, sit behind Fitzpatrick for the first, at least the first month, maybe six weeks, maybe even two months, I think there's so much that he can learn from the way Fitzpatrick plays this position because he's, he's, Fitzpatrick has mastered the position. Fitzpatrick is, is just, you know, when it comes to reading it, in in many ways, Tua is very similar to Fitzpatrick. It's just Tua has uh, more athleticism, and his accuracy is is better. But as far as reading the game, the gunslinger mentality, there there are actually quite a few similarities in the way that Tua plays the game and the way that Fitzpatrick plays the game. And so, I would really love to see him kind of be an understudy. I would not mind. Look, if Fitzpatrick is doing his thing and the locker room is completely behind him and the Dolphins are winning football games, I would not mind redshirting. I mean, it's not technically a redshirt, but it, but basically sitting to a behind Fitzpatrick for an entire season. I think it's very important that we get that we make sure that this offensive line is completely working working well as a unit and that we feel confident that when we put Tua back back there we're not throwing him to the wolves because if if we can and we we've got a great offensive line we've got weapons and we've got Tua basically learning the offense behind Fitzpatrick when Tua is ready and, and, and hopefully it does, he doesn't get the opportunity by injury. What you really end up, and hopefully he doesn't get it by way of Fitzpatrick playing poorly. What you really want to see is you want to see Tua win this job, win it because not only is he showing it in the preseason, but he's showing it every single day in practice to the point where he can win the locker room. Because if he can win the locker room from Ryan Fitzpatrick, then he's your unquestioned leader. And then at that point, you know what you've got. And then, it, and then what you hope is that the team around him is just fully functional. And it's just like, like taking uh, a Lamborghini and taking out a pretty good driver and putting in an elite driver. Because at that case, this Dolphins offense can really get rolling. And then the hope is that Tua Tungavailoa is the next great quarterback in the National Football League. So 
That is my analysis on the college career of Tua Tungavailoa. Obviously, because Raekwon Davis played on the same team, um, I've watched all of Raekwon Davis's film as well. So I may make that the next episode that drops. And then after that, I'll probably go back. I'll circle back to the first round and then go in order. So we'll go Austin Jackson. Then we'll go, uh, Igbenogany, uh, and then, and then on down the line through the, you know, through the rest of the Dolphins picks. And I plan on doing an episode like this for, for each of the Dolphins picks. So tweet at me. Let me know what you think. Tweet at the show at Samuel Dolphins. Let us know what you think. And, uh, until next time. For Amplified to Rock, for Josh, this is Aaron the Brain saying, Go Dolphins!